This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Bill Cox. It was recorded at Pine Tavern Distillery in Monroeville, New Jersey. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Pine Tavern Distillery and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. He's Bill Cox. I'm Rich Shane. Dawn Ranieri's here, and this is Fermented Adventure, the podcast. And we're here at Pine Tavern Distillery, and I'm sitting down with Bill as we talked about. Bill, we're, I mean, this has been great. We, we are so excited. This is one of the first distilleries Dawn and I were talking on the way. This is one of the first distilleries um, that we went to and had a great time. You had live music going on. You had a food truck at the time. And a lot has happened since the last time that we were here. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. Bill, how did all this get started? How did Pine Tavern Distillery get started? Uh, so myself and my stepfather, uh, who's also my business partner, uh, we started Pine Tavern Distillery um, back in 2015. Um, so basically what happened is our family would go on vacations up and down the East Coast. Um, and what we would do is, I have four small children, uh, we would pick a destination that had something for the kids to do and something for the adults to do. So we actually um, were in Spurryville, Virginia, and we visited a distillery called Copper Fox Distillery. Yeah, Copper Fox is great. So we went out there. We talked to uh, we talked to the head distiller. We walked into his place, and we kind of went back to the campsite, and we were like, "Why is there nothing like this in New Jersey?" Um, and so that kind of spawned the conversation. That was in 2014. Um, and then we started doing some research. We talked about it, you know, joking about it every once in a while, saying we should do something. And um, lo and behold, we come back. Uh, that's when Chris Christie was the governor of New Jersey. Um, he basically enacted the craft distillers uh, permit in the state. And so we kicked it around the idea some more, and we just decided... Let's give it a shot and see what happens. Now, this is a farm. This is your family's farm that we're sitting on, right? Yes, this is my family's farm. Um, and the name of the farm is actually Hidden Pond Farm uh, in Monroeville. Um, it's 23 acres. Uh, our primary, our primary um, crop is corn. So it's basically um, the thing we grow most years. Sometimes there's a rotational crop that we grow. Uh, this year was soy, but almost every other year it's corn. How, how long has your family owned this farm? Uh, the farm has been in the family for about 16 years. Um, it started, my, my parents are moved from Washington Township out here, um, basically to escape the cluster and the, uh, commotion of, of that area. And they wanted something a little more relaxing and that's where they bought this. So you went on these family vacations. 
you decided this is you kicked around these ideas of how do we start this, but how did you get the process started for a distillery? And, and talk about some of the, the struggles or some of the challenges you faced, because 2015, 2014, there weren't too many distilleries in even the state of New Jersey. I mean, you're still, a lot of that's still at its infancy. Yes. Uh, so when we started, um, we got back to New Jersey, and we really started doing some research. Um, we actually reached out to James Yoakum um, from Cooper River Distillers in Camden. Um, we talked to him a few times. Um, he had a distiller's workshop we went to. Um, and he basically planted the seed for us in New Jersey about how we can get started. Um, and we went to his place. It was a, a great place. It was in Camden. Um, and we saw what he was doing, and we said, you know what? If he can do it here, we can definitely do it on our farm. Um, so one of the cool things that we had is our original distillery building was already built. It was actually a horse barn that was never used. So that's kind of how that that whole process started. We started retrofitting it, um, started with the licensing, which was a whole other issue. Yeah, because at that time, you were probably approaching people, and while this is a farm, they have no, there are no rules, regulations, there's no structure for being a distillery, maybe some guidelines for being a brewery or definitely a winery. So yeah, the, the cool part about it is New Jersey is what's called a right-to-farm state. Um, so basically, if you process the crops that you grow on your farm, um, distilling, brewing, and winemaking is all covered under that under that premise. Um, so basically, because we are a farm, we were able to justify opening a distillery in this farm space, and so we could actually um, we could actually use the products that we grow in our spirits. That was like so fortuitous that you found that just because of what you were doing, you already had an in to be able to distill and do what you wanted to do without having to have any extra structure licensing yeah. or, or even, you know, I, I guess some sort of um, systems in place to begin to distill and do what you wanted to do. Yeah, we, we had a little bit of a background in farming as well. Uh, my grandfather has owned a farm in Berlin since the 1940s or 50s, I'm sorry. Um, and so I grew up on a farm. I grew up working on a farm. So I knew there was rules that would allow us to, to utilize what we can do here. But you had never distilled before? Um, Technically? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, there was some experimentation. Yes. Um, but we didn't distill until we got our license. Of course not. On February 3rd, 2016. Okay. So February, ter- February 3rd, 2016 was when you got your license. What was the first, when was the first day you fired up the still and, and started distilling? February 3rd, 2016. Okay. So you, got, you, you got your license and lo and behold, so, you're ready to go. Yep. We were, we were literally just waiting for that approval and then we did our first batch on the first day we did it. And what was your first run? Uh, we did uh, actually our muddy run should be on the table over here. Muddy Run Jersey style, honey white. Uh, we did the base for that. So essentially a corn moonshine. Okay. Um, and we we still produce it to this day. And that still came off of the corn that you're growing on your farm at the yes. time? Yes. Yes. Still came off the corn that we grow on our farm. And what um, corn are you growing? Um, it's actually called dent corn. Dent corn. Yes. It's it's a feed corn. Um, it's it's very starchy. Um, it, it converts really well to sugar once you once you add the right ingredients. Uh, but it's a real hearty corn. It's not sweet corn, but it has a lot of fermentable sugars, uh, fermentable uh, components in the corn. Now, since you've been doing all this with the distillery, have you started to grow any different corn or using any different varieties of corn? No. So we didn't use new varieties, but we did alter what we do. Um, 
last year was the first year we did it. We took our corn and we took it to Rabbit Hill Malt House um, down in Shiloh, and she actually malted our corn. Um, and I, I believe we were one of the first distilleries um, to malt our own corn and use it in our own product. So what's so, so you've done this differently. You were just using corn, but now you're malting the corn. What's the process and why is that different for what you're doing? So when you malt corn or you malt any grain, um, what you're doing is using um, the natural growing process of the grain to actually convert the starches to sugars. Um, so what they do is they put it, they basically spread it on the floor, they wet the grain, they introduce some heat to it, they get the seeds to start to germinate. And then what they do is they stop the germination process they kill, fire it, dry it, and then crush it, and that's what you use for your base. What is the difference, or what have you known, noticed in the difference in your what your your distillate, your juice, or what you're distilling from the unmalted to the malted sugar content? A huge, huge difference in sugar content. Um, and so what that means is uh, it allows us to produce a higher uh, concentration of alcohol in the initial stripping run uh, that we could before using unmalted grain. Now, are you, you, you in the stripping run, your initial? So how many runs are you doing on your distillate? It depends on the product. Okay. Um, our vodka technically is distilled nine times, but that's a whole different product. Because of the plates? Yeah, so the okay. plates, and then there's a stripping run, and then we put a, a basically the low wines into that, and then we turn the plates on. Um, but our vodka is actually distilled from Pinot Grigio grapes. Um, but mostly everything else, it's a minimum of two distillations, a stripping run and a spirit run. Now... We talked about there was really, until February 3rd, there was no distilling. But was there any history of distilling or any kind of fermented, you know, activities in your family prior to that? Um, no, just, it, uh, uh, no, there was experimentation. I mean, no, um, no with, like, great-great-grandfather down no, the road? No, you know, no, no. I, I actually am a, uh, by trade, I am a mechanic. Uh, I grew up around cars, and that was basically my passion. I worked at a dealership for about 20 years. Um, but I mean, we got interested in brewing years before that, uh, bought my stepfather a little home brew kit and we started messing with that a little bit. Um, and basically we just wanted to see if we can do the whole distillation process because we were such big fans of whiskeys and different spirits, but mostly whiskey. Um, and that's kind of what drove us to do this. So you're a first generation head distiller. Yes. Yes, I am. In the family. Yes. So in February, when we first distilled, um, we, that's when we really started to try to figure out what type of product we wanted to go to market with. Um, so from February 3rd, 16, until August 20th, which was our grand opening, we basically experimented with different combinations of grains, different yeasts, um, everything we can think of to make the product the best we could possibly make before we went to market. So when you went to market... What products were you actually selling to the public at that time? So we had what's called our um, white. So basically it's a, a white unaged moonshine. We had our honey white, which is the same thing, but added uh, a butter bean honey to the mix. Uh, then we also had a rum. And then our profile has grown exponentially since then. Now, the, the rum, you're distilling with molasses? We're using blackstrap molasses. Blackstrap molasses. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a bolder rum. Uh, a lot of distillers kind of shy away from it because it has a really unique taste. Um, we like it because it is different, um, and it mixes great in cocktails. Um, you don't usually drink white rum by itself. Some people do, but for the most part, it's a mixer, and we think it's a pretty good mixer. 
Pine Tavern Distillery, did it come just from being on Pine Tavern Road? Yeah, or? That's, that's basically <laughs> where it came from. So Pine Tavern Distillery, there used to be, um, it was called Pine Tavern Inn. Uh, it was down at the end of Pine Tavern Road by Moods Farm. Um, and basically it was, it was there for years and years and years. Uh, and I believe it actually burnt down in a fire. Um, and they named the road after it. And we were like, what better name than Pine Tavern Distillery? You know, it's, it kind of just fit. It was like an aha moment when we realized it. It all seems to come together. And it's been fun for Dawn and I that we've watched you kind of grow from the infancy. Um, where you started, it, 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 you mentioned being a mechanic. Yeah. So you like to tinker. Yes. You, you talked a little bit about, you know, different yeast strains, different grains and, and things. And you also talked a little about, you know, you and your family were into whiskey. So have you kind of modeled what you're doing um, or the tinkering or flavor profile of, of things that you've had before? Or is it just coming out of just the experimentation that you kind of get together and say, this is this this fits what we want to offer to the public? It's, it's really about what we like. Um, we don't try to model ourselves after anyone. We do have whiskeys that we do enjoy, um, or even, even our vodkas or our other specialty spirits. Um, but for the most part, it's if we like it, there's going to be someone else who's going to like it as well. And so that's kind of how we've always modeled our approach to making spirits, um, is that if, if I could produce something that everyone liked, I'd be a millionaire. But I mean, I just have to make what I like, and hopefully there's someone else who's going to like it just the same. You've been now in production for four years. Yeah, it'll be five years in February. Yeah. What, what excites you, or what still jazzes you about getting up every morning and being a distiller and, and, and coming to fire up the still? The tinkering. The tinkering. Yeah, so basically it's, it's a cool, um, when, you, when you do something um, and it is, you put your blood and your sweat and your tears into it, and you can actually taste a product that you put into a barrel two years ago, and it's actually coming to fruition, and it's, it's really something that's, that really kind of blows your socks off. It's, it's, it's one of those aha moments, and it makes everything, it makes it worthwhile. What, what were some of the challenges when you first started that you, you, you started to have to overcome? The biggest challenge, um, probably, and, and most distillers in the state would say this, is the paperwork. That's what's one of the biggest... Well, that's still a challenge, isn't it? Well, actually, we have grown in size enough to where we actually have a software that we handle. Okay. It handles all of our reporting. It handles all of our tracking. So it's, 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 a, it's a pricey option, but it's an option that it makes it so much more streamlined. But for the first year or two, it was kind of a real daunting task every, every month to, to fill that paperwork out and make sure it's right and make sure you're not messing anything up. That's key. And, and look, it's all part of the process, right? Yeah. I mean, that's not something that you necessarily realize would be a struggle. I mean, you saw it on the horizon. Yeah. But just getting the building outfitted, getting your, disti- your still and all that stuff set up. What, for you, how did you decide on the still you wanted to um, use? So basically, we, uh, like I said, we did the distillers workshop with Cooper River Distillers. Um, they have what's called an Alembic still, all copper, beautiful, hand-hammered. Um, we like that still. The problem with that still is it's not versatile. Um, and so what happens is you kind of get stuck with what you can produce on a still like that. So we have three stills right now. Uh, we have a 100-gallon still, we have a 26-gallon still, and we have a 13-gallon still. 
and all of those stills are essentially modular. So I can take pieces from one still and move it to another still, and I can produce anything from whiskey, brandy, vodka, or rum on any one of my three stills. So it's, it's a cool ability to have to be kind of adaptable to whatever you want to make. And so that's how we wanted to approach purchasing the still because it's a big expense. Um, and it's, it's really worked out well for us. From the tinkering standpoint, have you seen any changes in what you're doing to get from that 1326 to 100 gallon? Do you have to make any refinements, or is it still the same thing? Um, it's basically just scaling up the recipe. Um, we have tweaked it. Of course, over the years, we've been doing it for almost five years now. We have tweaked every recipe just a little bit, just to make it a little bit better. Um, and unfortunately, our first yeast that we finally picked... That company went out of business. Oh no! Yes. So we had to. <laughs> how uh, did the yeast company in, I, in its in this world right now going out? Of, how did they go out of business? I have no idea. They basically just vanished. Okay. So we had to about probably that was about two and a half years ago. Um, we kind of had to readjust and, and start the process over just a little bit. So you had to find a different yeast strain. Yeah, at that had point. to find a different yeast strain. Um, but it was nice because we found one and they and they've been good to us. Um, they make all different variations of yeast for us. So it's 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 been a Easy transition. Do you find, you know, I, I talk to a lot of distillers and their yeast is maybe a little of the secret sauce or the proprietary. Do, is there something about what you're distilling that you think that's really what sets you apart? Is it yeast? Is it is it the grain? Is it just you? So, well, no, it's, it's, it's actually a little bit of everything. So when you talk about, um, you, you when you try certain variations of our spirits, like our, our blackberry flavored brandy, you can taste the freshness of the blackberries in the spirit. Because we're a farm distillery, even though we don't have blackberries on the farm, we get it from a local farmer. And so you can really taste the difference and how fresh the spirit tastes. Um, and so that's what makes us unique. That's what makes us stand out a little bit. Um, we do we, we try not to be uh, one of those distilleries that flavor a lot of things. We have basic, basic spirits. And we like to keep it to the You basis. want to let the grains and what you're putting into the still speak for themselves, yeah, we're trying, right? Yeah, we're trying not to mask any flavors. Uh, well, that being said, we do have some maple stuff coming out soon. Okay. But I mean... Um, Big thumbs up from going. <laughs> but I mean, for the most part, we like to have the spirits do our talking. Um, we like the basics, um, and we want to do the basics well. You roll out the distillery, and then you open up your little tasting room area. What was it like for you to start welcoming people to the farm and to the, to the distillery? It was cool welcoming them here, um, but we kind of figured that but being the new craft distillery, being, being the new kid on the block, um, we were going to have people come out and try us. The cool part about it was when those people came back out and they told their friends about the distillery. That's how we knew we were doing something right. So that was the aha moment. Yeah, that was the aha moment. It's like, oh, I was here last week, and I told my cousin, and they're coming out this weekend. So it's like, that means we're doing something right. And then you started the cocktail program, or what was the, I, I'm curious, the, the conversations with everybody sitting around trying to pick and make cocktails? So basically, it's uh, myself, my stepfather, we're the primary, and then my wife, she's a nurse, but she dabbles in cocktails every once in a while. So what she does is... I like that. Next time, yeah. we're just dabbling in cocktails. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> yeah. So what she does is uh, she kind of sits down, and she if she sees something that she likes or she's been somewhere and likes something, we, we have a, a, basically a family meeting and say, hey, what do you think of this? Or what do you think of this? And it becomes a 
a consensus. Yeah, we're South Jersey, so there are different kinds of family meetings that go <laughs> yeah. on in South Jersey. Yes, that this, is true. This one sounds like a lot more fun. Uh, yep, yep. Sometimes you have to uh, get up gingerly for okay. these family meetings. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, it's been a cool experience. Everyone has their input. My sister's the bartender here, um, so everyone has an input uh, about what direction our cocktails are going. I have to say, and for our experiences here, you get a sense that everyone you talk to, because they're all family, but it's it's your hospitality. It's it's coming here and wanting to have your guest have a nice time, have a great experience. I don't think that was really the conversation that you had. I think it just probably from talking to you and meeting your other part, your other family, it just comes naturally. Yeah, I mean, we, we want it to be welcoming. We want it to be someplace you can come out and say, hey, I had a great time there. Um, we didn't really design it to be like a, a place to come hang out. We wanted it to be a production facility and, and make a good quality spirit. But it just kind of morphed into a place where people can come and relax in the Salem County countryside and just kind of enjoy their day. And it's, it's become a real nice um, bonus to having the distillery where people can kind of just relax. I'll tell you what, one of the bonuses... Uh, for what our experience has always been, you always seem to have the best sunsets. Yeah. Yeah, we do have, uh, it's it's the rolling hill that's kind of behind the distillery. It, it, it kind of peaks over the trees just a little bit, and it, it really does, it, it really does stand out. So that was probably planning, with everything else you were planning, that was oh, probably, yeah, 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 that was planned. planned yeah. that too. We knew exactly which way to position the building. <laughs> now talk about that. I mean, we are in virtually a brand new space for you. Yes. Um, so basically, um, the farm, the Hidden Pond Farm, we built a building um, on the farm about about a year and a half about a year and a half ago, and so basically this space is for the people who visit the farm. They can come and relax. There's a fire pit out front. There's a deck on the back, so you can grab a cocktail at the distillery and then walk out to the farm and just relax and uh, enjoy the setting. Um, it's it's been a really great space for us, and it, it really helps us give the people a better experience at the distillery. Now, I know with COVID, there have been some structural changes, restrictions. This is a good size space. I think you said you can get at least in this space at least 30 people, and then you've got the deck too. Yes, yes. And so because of the because of the 25% restriction right now, um, we are allowed to have 30 people on the indoor space. Um, and so basically, if the doors are open, it becomes an outside space. But indoors, we're allowed to have 30 people. And then you've got live music set up here. Yeah, every Friday night we do live music and we do food trucks. Okay. Uh, and while the weather's nice, we actually have a gentleman who comes out and hand rolls cigars on premises as well. You got a sunset. You got hand rolled cigars. You got amazing spirits, and and you got the everything going on. I mean, if if you're in the listening area of Pine Tavern and you haven't been here, this is a perfect excuse to come out um, this Friday, if not. You know, any Friday coming up. And, you know, I know the concern is that we've talked about this, Dawn and I, that as it gets colder for some of these establishments, there's no room. And then it just, because of the restrictions, it just pretty much goes back to bottle sales. And is that something that you had done or were you, what's your bottle distribution right now? So right now uh, we self-distribute. We're in about 40 liquor stores locally. Um, we've done really, really well uh, wholesale wise. Um, up until COVID, that was going to be our primary focus this year was to grow, grow our wholesale business. Um, we've had to adapt that a little bit. Um, when they let us open back up, we did some bottle sale pickups and, and curbside pickups and stuff like that. And that actually helped out and people really seemed receptive 
of it. Um, and so we're afraid that if they do, do the, they do the restrictions again, we're going to have to go back to the bottle sale only. What, you know, with, with everything you've learned along the way, what, what has been the biggest thing that you learned that you didn't expect that you were going to learn or just kind of looking at, well, I, I didn't think I would ever need to learn that. Uh, the toughest thing probably would be wholesale sales. Like me being the distiller and being the guy who makes the products in the, in the distillery, we kind of had the impression that because we're craft, people are just going to flock. Like, oh, yeah, you guys are craft. That's, we'll pick you up. No, no problem. It's, it's been a real learning experience on how to handle dealing with liquor stores that don't necessarily want to deal with craft or they say they have enough spirits. So that's, that's been one of the biggest challenges of being a craft distillery, fighting the uphill battles against the big guys. It's fighting for space, right? Yeah, fighting for space on the shelf. Right, and it's going back to that experience you had with people coming to the distillery and then starting to invite people to come with them or, you know, tell them they should go. I think it's the same thing when you look at, you know, what's on the shelf for liquor stores. Because if enough people go into the store and ask for a specific distilled spirit, they're going to want to carry it. Yes, and that's that's been one of our biggest bonuses. If we we tell them if they've been here and you like it, and you have a local liquor store that you don't think carries our product, let them know and tell them to contact us. And that's how we have basically organically grown our wholesale distribution right now. Yeah, and and for Dawn and I, and that's one of the things that I, I think that we always ask where we're ever going. What what do you have local here? Because I think that helps impact everyone. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it. Um, we, we, were in your, we were in your production facility. You've got this great um, barrel area where you're storing your barrels. Yes. Now I think you said you're up to 115 barrels. Yeah, about 115 barrels. 115 barrels. But, you know, you're talking about the cooperages. You're talking about Rabbit Run. Rabbit Hill. Rabbit Hill. Yep. Down Shiloh. Right. That is now malting your corn. Yep. I mean, all these people are coming together that become an integral part to what you're putting in your bottle. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a real cool experience to kind of keep everything local, um, support local farmers, um, support the local um, malt house, support the local, uh, even the other distilleries. It, it, we've worked in conjunction when COVID started. Uh, we were dry, I was dropping off um, wine for the other distillers to use so we could produce hand sanitizer. So it's been a real, a real cool experience having, having the distillery and being able to work together even if it's something that we're doing um, that normally wouldn't require cooperation, it's been it's been a really cool experience to have that. And talk about working together. You have the South Jersey Distillers. I know. So we are on the Two Bridges, the wine, Two Bridges Wine, Beer, and Spirits Trail. Okay. Um, and so that is a, a basically in between the Two Bridges, basically in South Jersey. All most of the wineries. Um, a few breweries, and now there's three distilleries. There's us, Independent Spirits, and Tadmore Distilling in Salem. Um, we are all on this tour, and we're trying to basically make a make South Jersey a tourism beverage tourism desti- destination. And I think you have a, a sense about that that you're part of helping. That's why I said you're all working together, and the more people that you know get excited and interested in the craft spirits industry. And, and realizing, and we're going to try try some things in a few seconds, in a few moments, but I think that this is different. You talk about the competition with, you know, the, the larger producers, but this is different. You know, you, you can get a, a chair, 
But if, if you want something made well and crafted well, you're going to go to somebody who's a real craftsman. And that's what you are. You're a craftsman. Thank you. Yeah, we, um, we try to be. And we try to make sure that, that we highlight everything that we do here. And we, and we like to think that we promote not only us, but everyone in the South Jersey area. Because South Jersey kind of gets a bum rap. Everyone kind of gets lost in the sauce when you talk about North Jersey, and, and it's South Jersey's the forgotten farmland. Uh, you know, and let's let's not forget about it because yeah. if it wasn't, I mean, think about it. There was a time when you know you could smell the tomatoes being processed in Vineland. Oh yeah, because there were so many tomatoes and all that stuff. I mean, this is there's you know peaches. Um, New Jersey produces more peaches than Georgia does. Yeah. But we're not called, you know, South, I, mean, I grew up in South Jersey, so it's not called the peach state. Yeah. But there's a lot of stuff being grown here. And I think that the more people, you tell your story, and then people understand, hey, there's a lot of good stuff coming out of South Jersey. And you make this a destination spot. You know, like, you got this space here. But now I know I can go on, you know, I can hit some wineries, some breweries, some distilleries, and really make a nice destination time of it. Yeah. I yeah. think it's a good, I think that's good. And, and you're not too far, you know, from the from Atlantic City. So you've got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, and it's it's South Jersey. If you if you go on the website, the Two Bridges Wine Beer and Spirits Trail, it, it, it you can really map out a nice day and make it so you can hit, like you said, wineries, breweries, and distilleries and have a good day of it. Well, let's have a good day. Um, this is you know, look, we started. Don and I started Date Night Chronicles. Um, so this is still date night for us. But uh, <laughs> you you are now part. Bill, you're now part of our date night. The third wheel. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you want to start with? What can we try first? Um, what I would suggest is let's start with the rum. Okay. How come you picked rum? Um, because white rum, like I said, it's it's more of a mixer. Um, our rum, like I said, it's blackstrap molasses, so it is definitely a unique tasting rum. I'll um, tell you, we'll share on the, the tasting. Sure. There you go. The best way that I describe our rum, and when you give it a good smell, is shoe fly pie. I love shoe fly pie. I get, but I'll tell you what, I get banana. A lot of people say that. Yeah, it? I get the banana. Um, you get the, the burnt um, marshmallow on that. Um, so to me, it smells like almost like a banana cream marshmallow pie. <laughs> Here, you can nose that too. Now, how did you pick the black strap molasses? What was it about that for you? I know you wanted to be a little bit different in the in the. Process. So we did play with cooking grade molasses. Um, we played with a few different other molasses, um, and we just liked the way that the black strap distilled out. If that makes sense, um, it had a. A very, very unique profile, and almost like in-your-face profile, and we like that about it. It's got a nice, it's a, it's a nice sweet flavor to it. Um, you do get the um, the bitterness or the the blackstrap, the molasses, almost the, like that burnt, the burnt, yeah, side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still looking for the shoe fly pie, <laughs> <laughs> but that's really delicious. Um, and it's it, it's a lower proof, about 80 proof? 80 proof, yep. 80 proof. So you don't get a lot of ethanol. So if you're talking about making a cocktail out of that, or or even that, to me, that's something you can sip. I mean, let's go back to work, what you're doing with the outdoor stuff and the bands and the food. You can really sip that and enjoy it, but I'm sure you're making some really nice cocktails, or one that's of, the base for that. Yeah, one of the biggest hits this year was our frozen pina colada with that. It really, really translates well in a pina colada. Um, in a mint julep, a bunch of different cocktails that really, really do really well. It's funny because, you know, I'm going through that same, you know, the first thing I got a lot was a lot of sweetness, but now you get a lot more of the burnt, 
um, the, the peppery notes on there. I get even a little lemon to it. So there's some, some citrus that's coming out of there as well now. That's nice. So this, so, so this is one of your first products, right? That is one of the first products. Okay. What would, what would be next on the uh, tasting trail? So what I would do next is this is going to be an exclusive. This is our Muddy Run Maple Cask Rum. Now, how did you cook? What was Muddy Run? So Muddy Run is actually on the back of our property is Muddy Run Creek. It runs from here in Monroeville all the way down into Elmer and then into Parvin State Park. Um, and so basically it's just another historical local landmark that we like to use. Um, you're really playing you're really paying homage to your local roots, right? Yes. I mean, that's you're that's really the goal. giving a tribute to again, I, I think it comes out of wanting to say, hey, South Jersey, there's a lot of stuff going on here and we're going to put our flag here and talk about and really use the history of what's going on here. Yeah, and that's a and that's a big proponent. Once when we get to the whiskeys, I'll tell you a little bit about of some of the even more historical significance. Well, I mean, it, it, I understand George Washington slept here. So <laughs> there'll be a plaque erected uh, within a week. There you go. So what is this we're trying now? This is a rum, the, the white rum, that we aged in our used maple syrup slash bourbon whiskey barrels. Okay, so... You are aging bourbon. So we're aging bourbon. You're taking the bourbon out. Taking the bourbon out. Throwing maple syrup. Vermont maple syrup. And then now what? Aging that for about about two months, three months. Pull that out of the barrel. And then put rum in behind that. So where's the maple syrup now? Uh, we actually sell the maple syrup. I stymied you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you look at, at the table like, where is it? I don't yeah, know. <laughs> there's actually a few things that I forgot. But yeah, the, That's we, do, okay. we do sell the maple syrup. Um, and it's fantastic on pancakes. My kids have gotten spoiled because that's the only one they use. I'm just nosing this right now and and it's a wonderful nose to this. It really is. That's actually barrel strength. It's about a little more than 100 proof. There's no ethanol here. You know, I mean, I can tell you there's no burn in the nose. It's just a nice, sweet, um, almost like walking through the forest, like the woods kind of nice smell to it. Yeah. Wow. See, I'm going to hand this to you, and I'm, I'm never going to so get excited. it back. I'm so excited. I back. <laughs> so this is your white rum. Yeah, the black shrimp molasses-based rum. That goes right in the barrel. Yes. Now, it goes in at a little over 100 It goes in exactly at 100 proof. It goes in a little, yeah. okay. And so it's been sitting, this particular barrel has been sitting for about two years, so it's slightly above 100 proof right yeah now. you'll see it's already it's i'm never getting <laughs> that, that back so that funny. is amazing thank wow. you thank you very much. what was it again these are you're tinkering what made you think about doing all that um honestly it's it's about so we we use a um a craft cooperage from upstate new york um and he makes fantastic barrels and who's that his name is uh Bob Hocker from U.S. Barrel. Okay. And so basically he was, um, he's essentially the cooperage version of us. He's a very, very small cooperage. He has a very limited clientele. We were fortunate enough to get into his barrel program, um, and we haven't really looked back since. Um, So he uses a distressed species of American white oak, and that's what we age all of our spirits in. And it really makes a fantastic, fantastic spirit. I think that's key. And and again, I wonder what conversations that you had to talk about even your barrel program and, and what 
the significance of, of what that meant for your spirits. And, and actually, he was, Bob was key. Bob from U.S. Barrel. He was, he was key in us deciding what we wanted to go with because we experimented with barrels that were made um, down south and they, they tend to have a smokier flavor profile. But the species of wood that he uses, um, it lends itself to a sweeter profile. And you'll definitely taste that when you try our whiskeys. What is still sitting on the palate for me now, you do... It's almost like you get a grassiness to it, um, or, or or a grainness to it. It just all through that there were so many layers on that. That was really nice. Thank you. Thank yeah, you that much. was really nice. Thank you. What do you got next? So next, um, we will wash it out with some vodka. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of anybody clearing the palate with vodka. <laughs> this is our intermezzo. Yes, this is our Pinot Grigio based vodka. So how did you pick a Pinot Grigio? Um, because we, we have corn that we use in a lot of our stuff, but we wanted something totally different. Um, and so we started experimenting with different varieties of grapes. We stumbled upon Pinot Grigio because of the sugar content of the grape. And that's kind of how we started experimenting, started tweaking the recipe, and that's how we settled on the Pinot Grigio. You know, we have this conversation all the time that vodka should be tasteless, odorless, odorless. And while I can appreciate that point of view, trying something like that, if somebody comes to you and says, I don't like vodka, I'm not a vodka drinker. This is so different. Yeah. This is why I think you put an exclamation point and an emphasis on why craft is so important. Yes. Because it's that's special. Different. It's different. Yeah, you get. I mean, there's there's a nice sweetness to it. Uh, you can actually, I almost in essence, like a Welch's grape juice in that. Yeah, and so and that's and and that's the cool part about our vodka. Um, most people who try it for the first time and we don't explain exactly what we did and why we did it that way. They're like, this isn't vodka. Like, no, no, it is. It's distilled to over 190 proof. And then cut back down. It's I mean, you could have almost stripped everything out of here and just pretty much just were left with just a green alcohol. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. So we, we could basically have distilled that to death um, and basically taken all the flavor out of it. Uh, but we wanted to preserve some of the flavor of the grapes themselves. And you even, again, what's nice about your spirits right now as we're enjoying them, you, you, you let it sit on the palate, you come back to it. And there's still more that keeps coming. I'm, I'm, I'm still getting like that caramel note mm-hmm. to it at the end. And I don't want to say burnt because that's not really, you know, for a lot of cases, I mean, we could talk about that with rum. But it's almost like that, that caramel note to it. Yeah, it's, comes it's, out. It's, it's and like nobody's going to say vodka has a caramel note. Who would use that as a, as a characteristic, yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. But but this is what you're producing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cool because it's totally different than anyone else. The closest mainstream vodka that would come close to that would be like a Ciroc. Um, and that's also distilled from grapes. Um, but they, they do a blend of grapes. We exclusively use Pinot Grigio. Grapes. And that's that's being farmed somewhere close by? or uh, So we get it from Hamilton. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of places in New Jersey that grow Pinot Grigio grapes. So that actually comes from all over the world, depending on the season. So okay. it can come from California. It can come from Chile. Um, but we actually source it from a company called Gino Pinto in Hamilton. Okay, so they're they're getting that juice from anywhere. Yeah, he's a, he's a wine he's a wine supplier, and so basically we're we're taking a Pinot Grigio 
grape juice, and we're turning it into a wine, and then distilling it into our vodka. Way to go! I mean, we're three for three. That's I mean, we got, I got, we got runners on first, second, and third. <laughs> you know, we got the cleanup hitter coming up. All right. <laughs> I don't want to put any pressure on you now. So the next, see, this is, and I will tell you, this, Bill, this is exactly why we enjoy. We, we've had, we've enjoyed our times here because you're really doing, and, and we, we've been one of those people that have left here going. If you haven't been to Pine Tavern, you got to go to Pine Tavern. Well, thank you. Thank and, you very much. And I think in a lot of cases, you were still one of the new kids on the block. So a lot of people had never heard of you. That's in South Jersey? Yeah. Well, the funny I, thing is, we, we are technically one of the new kids on the block. But if you look in the grains, the, the big picture in New Jersey, we're one of the oldest. There's only, I think we're number eight in the state. Wow. And, yeah. and that's existing because uh, um, Cooper, Cooper, few, Cooper's not there anymore? A few of them went out. Yeah. I miss Cooper. Yeah, yeah, I missed him a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, from what I understand, Rectalstown got yeah. some of their juice. Ben, and Ben, the associate distiller from Cooper River, he's the head distiller in Rectalstown. Right. So they've got, I, I think last time I saw they were, like, they have like 45 barrels or something that they yeah. were playing with. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, I think they're rum, they're rye, and they're bourbon, I think. That was the first time, and not to give them, you know, not to take away on our podcast, no, but that's fine. That's was the first time we had, um, I think, a collaboration, a beer whiskey. Oh, something, yes. And that just... It's crazy. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It really was. And that, that I had not seen that. I had not thought of that. And that was really what started, you know, looking at what other distillers were doing. And if they do a, a beer collaboration, I just love that. Yeah, so we do... When we get to the not this one, but the one after. Oh, uh, this, this is one. a uh, this is not released to the public. This yet. is another. <laughs> yeah, this is another not released to the public. This is our Muddy Run Applejack. This is about two years old, and this also is a little bit more than a hundred proof. So this is an Applejack you probably have never had before, or anything like this. Um, so generally, an Applejack, like a mainstream Applejack, they take a a neutral spirit, and they add a distilled apple brandy to it to make the Applejack. This is Moods Farms apple cider that we fermented and distilled. And so it's exclusively just apple cider. And then one of the other unique things we do, instead of aging it in a bourbon barrel, we age it in a rye whiskey barrel. So you get the spice from the rye that translates into the apple. On the nose... It's like drinking a hot mold apple cider. I mean, it's on the nose. I can, is if you're, that's what's there. Yeah. Hot And the first thing I got was what's, is it Apple Jacks as a cereal? Yes. Yes. I get that fruitiness of Apple Jacks. So you really hit it right with the name, the Apple Jack. Yep. Um, But it's like fresh pressed apples right on the nose. And I haven't even tried it yet. So I'm going to try it, then I'll hand it over (laughs) to you. Holy cow. Wow. Now, when is when is something like this? Are you are you just waiting for the TTB to approve labels? So or? actually, we did get the label approval done already. Um, so we're just waiting on the print for the label. Um, we're going to have it out sometime after Thanksgiving, but before Christmas. Wow! I mean, this it. is definitely something you want to come. I want to know when both of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, this is wow! wow. I, <laughs> I don't want to use wow too much, but you can't help it though. <laughs> Seriously. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, what really, you know, we, we've had the other two spirits, and even at 100 on your, the, the rum, the barrel-aged rum, it didn't come off as that high of a proof. This comes off as a high proof, and it, it, it lends itself perfectly for everything that's going on there. Yeah. Um, sometimes we've had things that have been high proof that just killed all the flavor. Mm-hmm. But this is, yeah, this is right there. This is where you want to be. 
Yeah, and it's it, it it's tricky because it's a hundred proof, but what really comes through in this is the spice from the rye barrel. That really yeah. kind of sets it apart. Most other apple jacks are, are sweet, and you can really really taste the the overwhelming sweetness. This we wanted it to be a subtle sweetness, but with another la- a layer of flavor. That really sits there, and you identified that you know as as you've produced it. Right now, what's my, my mouth is clear, but what's lingering is almost like it's it's pepper, it's cinnamon, it's nutmeg, it's it's all those baking spices that are going to have that little bit of a zip to it. Yep, and that's what's there. Yeah, we really we really like it. We really are excited, and we're really looking forward to seeing how people receive that, it. Like a hot toddy or something. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. that would be so perfect. It's not about how they're going to receive it. Is are you going to have enough to satisfy <laughs> so this, everybody? <laughs> this, is going to, this is going to be an extremely limited release. So basically what's going to happen is we're going to have probably about um, 150 bottles released around Christmas time. And then we'll probably do the same thing every year for the next couple of years because it's so hard. Yeah, it's two get. years in the barrel anyway. Well, yeah, this, this one's two years in the barrel. Um, but the, the issue is the farmer that we get it from He's a very limited supply of apples. So that's why we, we don't want to use anyone else. We, it's, it's our good friend and neighbor right up the street. So we want to make sure we continue to use him and support Again, him. it's yeah. the history. It's the locality. Yeah. It's, and, and let's face it. Realistically, uh, you know, we talk about the Provenance, Provence. And I, I always screw that up. But <laughs> it's it's... Everything that's going into that bottle is here, right? Yes. Now, you could take apple juice from somewhere else, and I don't think you'd get the same flavor, you know, like um, Plowman out in Adams County. You get the apple capital of the world out there. But I bet if you took some of those apples and, and did the same thing, you might not get the same product. So the collaboration you're doing with what he's producing on his uh, in his orchard to this is really what has it stand out. Yeah, it's really, we really, really like it. Put our names on both of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds like a plan. All right. And then the next thing we're going to try is actually, again, a collaboration with the same farmer. This, These are his fresh-grown blackberries. Well, he's really happy you guys opened up, too. Yes, he imagine. is. Yes, he is. So this is uh, – how this got started is actually a funny story because we were considering doing a brandy, uh, and we didn't quite know how to get – started doing it because we were unsure of the direction we were going to go. So our friends at Monroeville Winery, which is a winery right around the corner from us, he contacted us a couple of years ago and said, hey, we have a batch of Chamberson wine that kind of went south on us. Can you guys use it? And so we're, that was our aha moment for this. So we, we got it. We started tinkering with it. Um, we distilled it. We got an awesome flavor out of it. And we really were like all right, let's do our blackberry brandy with this. So we use his Chamberson wine as the base. We age it for a little while, and then we actually sweeten it with the local blackberries from Moods Farm. Now, is that is it an eight, is an unaged oak? I mean, is it just no? So it's oak? eight. So technically, to become a brandy, you're supposed to take a distilled grape, age it in a barrel. It, it literally can go in for a day. Take it out. Then you can flavor it, but to be called a brandy, it has to touch oak, right? At some point, is it is it oak that you, has something else been in the barrel? Yeah, or so that's it's yeah. a bourbon barrel. So okay. basically, you put it in the bourbon barrel, let it sit for a few days, take it out, so you follow the requirements, and then you flavor it with. Whatever. You're really getting a lot of use out of your bourbon barrels, too. yeah, yeah. Yes, I think we are. This is my favorite. You like that You're one? Not getting any more. Of it. <laughs> Everything's been your favorite. Wow. Yeah. The 
viscosity of that Sick. almost it's but I love it it's almost like a, a, a jam on yes. his tongue it really is yeah funny story about that <clears throat> um, we didn't know that um, they check the uh, pectin content in fruit by adding alcohol to it Okay, I didn't know that. So when we were actually in the experimental phases of what fruit we were going to use and how much we're going to use, um, we added alcohol to a small batch of blackberry juice that we made, and it literally turned into jelly. Because the pectin is what you use for jello, it actually solidified wow. the spirit. Okay. So we, we were, it was a learning experience for us, um, so we actually had to switch up and use a, what's called a pectinase to neutralize the pectin, the natural pectin in blackberries, and then we kind of adjusted our uh, recipe from there. I think the, the, the by using the Chambersan grape, yes. you really get this, you get the fruitiness of the berry, and then you get the the, 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 the grape, the, the, I'm going to say grapeiness, the wininess. The wininess? Yes. Okay, yeah, the, yeah. Not, <laughs> the, not the wininess. I'm in love right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow, and you're not looking at me when you're saying that either. Um, you, you just get so much going on. I, I, I'm like thinking, you know, throw some even for the summer, take that and you can make a sangria out of it. You could take that, pour it over ice cream. There's a lot of stuff you can do with it. One of our more popular drinks is actually mixing it with a, a homemade iced tea that we have. So blackberry. Oh iced yeah, tea. yeah. Oh yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, so that's one of our more popular ones. That's like a, a Jersey tea or something yeah, like that. Yeah, we actually call it. Um, well, see, none of this was scripted either. We just <laughs> <laughs> we have we have uh, it's called Nana's sweet tea, and then we have Nana's blackberry tea. Okay. Look well, thanks, Nana. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I, you know, it's almost like mic drop, you want to leave on that note, but there's more to, because, so do you ship outside of the state of New Jersey? No, um, because of the laws in the state, we're not allowed to ship outside of the state, and technically we're not allowed to ship at all. Okay. Um, but some of our retail partners do. So on our website, pinetaverndistillery.com, um, we have a list of um, are retailers who actually will ship across the country. Okay. So if there if there someone was out of state and say they were in Kentucky and they wanted to try our bourbon or our blackberry brandy or anything like that, they could go on there, order it, and then they'll ship it directly to their house. Well, that's good because people are going to be listening to the podcast right now and they're going to start to say, "Well, I want some of this. I want. How do I get it shipped?" And now you have some distribution avenues to get it to, them, which is great. <laughs> yeah. <you> definitely. <laughs> All right, and so next we are getting into our Fenwick's line of spirits. Now, talk about Fenwick. Now, the first thing you came out with was a rye, is that uh, Yeah, it is a rye. And so we have two different spirits because we don't distill everything in-house. Um, so our Fenwick's line of spirits, we actually do not distill it in-house. Well, we have a, I don't want to call her a sister distillery um, in Kentucky who distills our recipe for our rye and our bourbon for us. And they ship it to us right off the still. And then we put it into our hand-selected barrels of the, the Coopers that I was telling you about earlier. Um, so our rye whiskey was the first thing we came out with. And the bourbon we came out with after that. Um, so we're really proud of how they turned out. Um, we really think that, that aging them here and, and aging it the way we want to do it really puts our mark on these spirits. So talk about the process for you. And making the decision to consign your juice to your sister distillery versus distilling here and, and doing it on site. So when we first opened up, um, the process that, that, that 
made us kind of justify doing this. Um, we first opened up, we had two 13-gallon stills. So our biggest issue was space and time. Um, we couldn't produce a large enough batch to actually justify putting it into a barrel. So we kind of explored the idea, and a bunch of different places reached out to us. There's the places in Indiana, there's places in New York, and, and we didn't want to do something cheap or something that we didn't feel was indicative of who we were as a distillery. Um, so we actually reached out to a distillery in Kentucky who was just in the beginning stages of, of doing things like this, distilling for other distilleries. Um, and so we, we reached out to them. They sent us out some samples that we really liked. And so we, that started the whole collaboration. So let's talk about the mash bill on that. Uh, so the mash bill for the rye whiskey is 95% rye and 5% malted barley. The bourbon is 77% corn, 21% rye, and the rest malted barley. Now I think it's interesting. And, and one of the things that struck me right off when we first had the rye is that we're talking, we're talking, we're going back like three years ago, or just after you, I'm going to say three years ago, that Rye didn't have the popularity as it has today. And so a Rye, to me, is actually a more difficult spirit to pull off. Um, everyone knows a bourbon. Everyone likes a bourbon. You have to be, I don't want to say an experienced drinker to drink rye, but you have to have a certain palate to enjoy a rye um, because of the spiciness of it, the nuances of the spirit itself. Um, it's, it's, it's a much different experience than drinking just bourbon. And we, we, we think our rye is probably one of the best we've ever had. I, I, I love your rye, by the way. So okay. I, I can, I can you know, share that. And I think, again, going back to, yes, you have the juice, and it's coming off of somebody with knowledge and um, understanding of how to distill that spirit. But I think there's something more that goes along to what you're doing with your barrel that creates the flavor profile that you really get out of that. Yeah, so uh, our uniqueness is our barrels. Uh, and we would argue that 95% of the flavor comes from the barrel itself. Um, our main distillery um, is actually not climate controlled, which lends itself to be fantastic for whiskey uh, because of the drastic temperature changes in New Jersey. It swings from hot to cold all year round and it actually makes it so the whiskey can really absorb into the wood and really get all of the different flavors that the wood provides. Alright, so which one do you want to bring so, about? Normally what we do is we do our bourbon. Okay, you so do the bourbon first bourbon so you're not getting first. all that, that spiciness of the rye? That is right. So this one you're trying now is about two years old. We age this in a 30-gallon cask using that distressed species of American white oak. Lots of cherry. Lots of, lots of like stone fruit, like plum and, um, raisin. and, and prune and raisin. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of that, that that really comes off the nose. Again, it's a lower proof. No, it's actually 96 proof. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. I'm, I'm going to argue with the head distiller. It's 96 proof and it's single barrel. Can I tell you something? There's nothing about the nose of this that would tell you this is a higher proof. Yep. I'm thinking like you're in the 80s. Yeah, we actually did that um, for a very specific reason. We enjoy our whiskey over ice. Um, and so when you put a 80 proof whiskey over ice, you're really drinking 65, 70 proof after the ice starts to melt. 
and 96 proof, you're really drinking it at about 80 proof. Um, just almost speechless because, again, in, even in the flavor profile, you don't get a lot of the ethanol or a lot of the burn and the higher proof that you know that, that you're bringing to this bourbon. And we actually have um, we don't have any right now, but intermittently we do sell a barrel strength. 120 proof version of both of these spirits. There's a lot of, uh, you know, as you said, it's 22% rye. So you do get a good amount of spiciness on the back end. There's peppery notes. Oh, yeah. Again, I go back to the, the, the baking spices, cinnamon. But there's also, um, this bourbon to me is what satisfies the cigar. You know, the, you know there, there's that bourbon that you want to have with a cigar, and, and there's a sweet. You know, people gravitate more towards a sweet bourbon. Mm-hmm. And I think this really straddles the line in and makes everybody happy. If you come to a party, you, you got the cigar people drinking this, and you got the sweet just sipping. I didn't even think the ladies are going to like that one. Yeah, it's, uh, so basically it's, it's, it really hugs that line because it is, it's not considered a high rye bourbon, but it has enough rye to where you really taste the spice in the spirit. But the barrel itself actually lends it to a sweeter profile. And I don't get a lot of corn on this. I think there's a sweetness forward from the corn, but I don't get the, the, the grassiness or the tones. You or get the, a lot of car- you get more so caramels than you do. Yeah. So yeah, vanillas, caramels, yeah, yeah. things like that, but not necessarily a corn forward. Yeah. And then again, what what kind of kicks in is just the the, the rye. That takes you through, and then you get the the barrel, you get the the dryness, the the oakiness, almost as if right now, if I drank a really um, a dry red, that's what's finishing in my mouth. Yeah, just the, the dry red to this. Yeah. It's really we we're really proud of how it came out. Now there's you, you, we we went through the tour a little bit, and we talked about the barrel, the Salem, the Salem oak, the Salem oak. Yes. So basically, in um, Salem County. There was a tree that was the oldest living oak tree in the state of New Jersey. Um, it fell uh, in June of 19. Um, it was about 600 years old. Um, John Fenwick, who's the founder of Salem County. That's, that's why. why it's Fenwick's. That's why it's Fenwick's. Um, he actually signed a treaty underneath of that tree. And so basically the tree was a symbol of the settlement of Salem County and the surrounding counties um, made by him. And it was it was really, really cool, historical, um, significant tree in the area. And so that's the tree that represents, that we represent on this bottle. And so the tree itself, even though it's not here anymore, we still kind of pay homage to it. Um, we're actually in the middle of redesigning the labels. Oh, awesome. Uh, the tree becomes bigger? <laughs> yeah, the tree becomes bigger yeah. and much more pronounced. Um, much more detailed, and yeah, you can take it. Um, and so, one of the cool things that we do with our Fenwick's line of spirits, um, we actually donate a portion of every bottle sale for the entire year to the Salem County Historical Society. Every year we do it. So we are one of the biggest contributors, consistent contributors to Salem to the Salem Historic Salem County Historical Society. Now as I understand, the tree fell, but you you utilize a portion of the tree, right? Yes. So uh, because of our relationship with them, um, with already sponsoring them, we reached out um, to the Historical Society and we asked if we can secure a piece of the wood. And so it took about three months for us to get it, but they 
gave us a large chunk of the tree. Um, so they gave us a certificate of authenticity. Um, we went there, we met them, picked it out. And so what we decided to do with it, what, ba- what better way to honor the tree than to turn it into a whiskey? Um, so we actually... Took- That's what everybody should be doing with their trees. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> honor your trees. Honor your trees by turning it into whiskey. So no, what we did was we took a, a the, the large chunk that we got and we sent it up to our friends at U.S. Barrel. Um, he chopped it up, cubed it, charred it, and put it into a very few select barrels that we're aging bourbon in as we speak. And when is that going to be ready for bottling? So that is probably not going to be ready to bottle until sometime in 2022. So we're going to let it go at least three years. Um, But I can tell you this, we have um, tapped into it to see how it's coming along and it's coming along nicely. I was curious, what, what's the char? Because you mentioned he charred the cubes. What's the char so you're using on, on the barrel? Most of, most of our barrels, it's a medium char, number three. Um, some barrels are a little heavier, um, depending on the size of the barrel, because we use uh, four different sizes here. We use 31-gallon, um, 15, 10, and 5. Now, are you doing anything with the, the heads? I mean... Are, the barrels are just, are you do, experimenting any, anything different so with barrels? with the limited edition Salem Oak barrels, we had a custom laser engraved head that says Fenwick's, and it tells you the date that the tree fell, um, and it actually says that the tree is essentially or 600 years old, and it basically commemorates uh, the tree itself. And so that's those are the barrels that people have already been claiming dibs on even before the whiskey's out. So Well, before that, you got to throw maple syrup in there. And <laughs> <laughs> no, those are probably going to be one and done. Um, right now, we actually already have a barrel in the Salem County Historical Society in their museum. Um, so we're probably going to give at least one to them, one of the first barrels that we dump, just to kind of keep the tree relevant in people's yeah. minds in the history of Salem County. I'm just curious, did they, did they um, plant a new tree and it's place actually what they did throughout the years they actually took the um the seeds of acorns from the tree and they basically planted them all over the place um so you can actually go on to salem county the salem county historical society's website and they'll tell you what trees have came from the original salem oak so there's a there's a whole list of people or a whole list of trees that have have spawned from that tree. So that's really nice of them to start growing you more uh, barrel. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That's what I'm basically that's what they're doing. <laughs> well, I don't think I'm going to be around in 600 years. But hey, who knows? No, 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 no. <laughs> hey, let it get to 20, cut it down, make a barrel out of it. That's fine. <laughs> there you go. However that works. So let's move on to your rye. All right. So this, this is the one, this is like, this is the first, you had the rye before you had the bourbon. Yes. And we did that because we love rye. One of the first ryes that kind of caught our attention um, was uh, Copper Fox, um, the Wasman's rye. Um, it's, it was one of those ones that kind of made us say, hmm, this is different. And then we kind of graduated and we, we started branching out and, and, and trying everyone else's rye. I, I, I love this. So somebody's going to come along and they're going to say, you know what? I never really was into rye before until I tried um, Fenwick's, until I tried Pine Tavern Distillery. I mean, th- that's the way it works, right? So Copper Fox 
kind of got you started on this thought pro- you know we like rye but this is this is what's really getting us to love rye yeah, right this is this is different but yeah. but this is how it works you know maybe somebody will say well I'm not a rye drinker and then they try this we now they're a rye drinker yeah we've had that happen a few times they're like oh I've tried rye before but I don't really like it I'm like listen you can try the rye see what you think and nine times out of ten they're gonna say wow that's a great rye whiskey what do you think it is is it what what holds people back from their perception of, of of rye? It's not just rye. It's actually a lot of different spirits. Have you ever had the the drunken college night rye? I drank I drank way you know, too much. You know, of... you know, Bill, how you talk about you've never really distilled until <laughs> February. Never, never uh, I don't think I ever had a drunken college <laughs> night. No. So yeah, that's that's generally what the misconceptions are spawned from. They've had a bad experience. When they were younger, and it's like, oh, I'll never try that again. In some cases, yeah, that's that's the, that's the truth. But most of the time, it's try it and then tell me you don't like it. And there's no way they can say no. No, I, well, I would say not. Like I said, nine times out of ten, they're going to say that's pretty good. I like that. So it, it's it's again. I mean, we have this conversation more specifically about gin that people have that drunken college night or yes. that bad gin experience. Yes. Not necessarily rye. Sometimes the brandies and things that are easily accessible on the shelves and cheap. Um, but I, I think the brown spirits, I mean, bourbon itself had has always had that, you know, popularity or yeah. the growth and popularity now. But, but rye seemed to have been, again, when you started to say, hey, we want to plant our flag with the brown spirit. It's going to be rye. Yes. Where most people would have gravitated for, you know, let's try bourbon first. Yeah. We, yeah. And, and it's... We wanted to do it because everyone was doing a bourbon. And we wanted our rye to be basically the launch of our brown spirits. And so that's why, like I said, we we enjoyed it so much that we wanted to give our best effort to put out a quality rye. And we think we've done that. I think you, I, I can tell you you have. And, you know, again, this still probably continues to be one of my favorite ryes, even from when we... You know, so, so three years, three and a half years later, it still has that same gravitational pull to it. Um, this time, you know, what I get is like a, a, a cherry cola, a, almost like a Dr. Pepper There's a surprising it. sweetness to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, with 75% rye, you'd almost... No, 95. 95% yeah. rye, thank you. 75% corn. 77. Corn. 70, uh, <laughs> I'm going to stop doing the math. <laughs> but with that high rye content... You, you really expect more pepper forward. Yes. Um, you'll get some of the sweetness from the rye, but there's a really, there's a lot of character to this. And that's all about the barrel. That's exactly, that's why the barrels are so important. Because the grain pattern of the, the barrels that we use are tighter, so when they char it, it lends itself to that sweeter flavor profile. Now, we can geek out on this for a second. Yes. Was that specific in your intention to get a tighter grain? Yes. And, and then the reason that, the reason we decided to do that, because if you've ever had some bourbons and, and other whiskeys that you get from down south, like Kentucky and Tennessee, they have a very smoky flavor profile. Not that we don't like smoky, but we like our spirits to be slightly sweeter. And we were researching for a long time how to get that sweetness into it. And the research that we concluded, or that we conducted, um, the grain of the wood has to be a much tighter grain to lend itself to have that sweeter 
profile. Now, what is it about the tightness of the grain? Does it just does it allow so less it doesn't it allows less of a char, less deep penetration of a char, so you can really get the the natural uh, flavor out of the wood, um, and so that's what again brought us back to U.S. Barrel. Uh, and he basically is like the Zen master of wood. Uh, and he was explaining everything to us and why his barrels taste this way and why other barrels taste the other way. And he basically sold us on giving him a shot. And so we did a, base, a basic comparison of three different barrels from all over the country. And his was hands down the best. So what we're really creating is like this word picture as you're describing it. The, the juice hits the char of the barrel which now becomes more of a filtering yes. and creating a little bit of a flavor profile, but it allows the juice to get to the, 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 the virginness of the wood, Yes, the, the, the real wood character. So you're really getting past the char into the wood and back out, and it's pulling. Yeah, it's that, it's and if that, you kind of think about that in your head of how it works. Yeah, it's kind of thinking it's, of, think of it like a sponge. So it's it's that back and forth, that in yeah. and out. That's where you get all the flavor for the whiskey. That's where you get the color for the whiskey. That's where you. That's where the whiskey becomes whiskey instead of just uh, moonshine. Essentially, um, that's where the magic happens. And if you have the right wood and have the right temperature, which you age it at, you can really make a phenomenal, phenomenal spirit. But you're doing it. Thank you. I don't usually like rye. They're probably my least favorite. See? Yes, but yours, because it has that sweetness, it's probably one of my favorites. Well, thank you. What I always like to impart, and and for Dawn and I, and this is what we like to share, you know, we're big fans of what you do. I mean, I wish you were closer. Um, It doesn't sound like a long way. (laughs) Um, but on a, on, a, on a weekend to try to get down here when there's no COVID. and We're getting staying up. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, what I really want to – look, this is exactly to me what craft is all about. You're not you, – you put your name on this. I mean you literally decided as a family we can do this. We can make this happen. Let's take our farm. Let's grow our corn. Let's integrate the community, and everything else around, and you're putting out some amazing spirits. And what I would tell you, again, for people that have not been to Pine Tavern, this is really worth the trip. And the setting is fantastic, and this new space and everything you got going on is definitely is definitely worth the trip. Well, thank you very much. We, so what what's the future for Pine Tavern? I mean, you're you're one of the eighth the, the eighth oldest oldest in the state. Yeah. yeah so our our uh, our goal twenty twenty one is going to be a big year for us. Um, twenty twenty we were hoping was going to be that year, uh, but COVID kind of had other plans. Um, so our our goal this year is to increase our wholesale footprint. Um, we kicked around the idea of doing a distributor. We decided against it for the, for the time being, but our, our big goal this year is really to push out and to, to get out into the public. We're rebranding uh, or redesigning the Fenwick's label um, to have a more uh, visual appeal on the shelf. But our, our like I said, our goal is to really expand the business and, and, and promote Salem County. That's that's our goal. When you see what the what everything looks like. I mean, you talk about 2021 being a, a great year. Um, what would you like to get back to seeing post-COVID here on the farm? Uh, normal? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a shame to have to... One of the biggest adjustments we had to do um, 
we were always very family friendly, very, very family friendly. Because of the COVID restrictions, we, we can't, in good conscience, allow kids to run around and, and potentially um, have something happen with kids. So that, that's one of our biggest things that we, we wish we could change um, is the fact that we had to become a little less family friendly because of the space constraints and, and the other rules that are in place. Um, so we would love to see everything go back to normal. We can invite the families back, have more family oriented days like we used to. But that's, that's probably the biggest thing for us right now. Well, for Dawn and I, this is our fermented adventure. And we are really grateful for the time you've taken. I mean, this is a Monday night or Wednesday night. <laughs> well, it's date night, I should know, right? But, I mean, you took time away from your family. And to share your spirits with us and, you know, what, what goes out there to, you know, the, the, the podcast world. And, and we're grateful for that. Um, is there anything that we didn't talk about on the podcast that you wanted to interject or let people know about? No, just uh, if you if you like us or you want to give us a try, uh, make sure you contact your local retailer. Tell them to reach out, and we'll be glad to uh, stop out and see if we can get our product on the shelf. And you're on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And Twitter. Yes. At uh, Pine, Tavern. Pine Tavern Distillery for Instagram and Facebook and Fenwick's Whiskey on Twitter. And Twitter. So here's the thing. This is definitely worth contacting and finding a way. Go to your website, yep. see who's distributing. Um, if you're in Iowa or you're in Wisconsin, um, Hawaii, mm-hmm. find a way. I mean, I guarantee nobody's making what you're making in Hawaii. So they definitely, when you start seeing a rush of distribution in Hawaii, <laughs> this is why. Um, Bill, thank you so much. This, thank you very This has much. been great. Appreciate your time today. Thanks for sharing your spirits with us, and we look forward to coming back and, and seeing you again soon. Well, thanks for having me. Have a good day. Thanks, you too. <laughs>